I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with CEO Carl Howard of Fazoli's. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate being on. Hey, it's a pleasure. So I want to start just with the story of Fazoli's uh, before we dive into the current business. Can you give me the quick background on the business? Yeah, so the business is 30 years old. Uh, we started right here in Lexington, Kentucky. We were actually um, birthed from Long John Silver's. So there was a cod crisis. So they had a the go on the fly and create another chain because they were worried about whether or not their fast food seafood was going to exist. So they created this fast food Italian um, business called Grazzi's, which was later renamed to Fazoli's. And, you know, it had a, a pretty good growth period for, you know, several years um, prior to me joining the brand. Well, you know, the business was birthed from changing and pivoting and everything else. And that's the, the name of the game right now. How has Fazoli's really thought about change this year? Yeah, so, you know, I, this has been an abnormal year for sure. So, you know, as we think about this year, what, what are we going to do to adapt to the change in the consumer behavior? So I think that was the biggest thing that was missing when I started with the brand 12 years ago, because we were really struggling. We were highly fractured, you know, sales were down and we just didn't understand the consumer. And so, you know, I have the luxury of a great team around me. So I spend the majority of my time studying the consumer and studying innovations. So when you talk about this year specifically, which is, you know, a once in a lifetime type of year for us, you know, we really wanted to understand the consumer behavior, understand what they were going through because the consumer was going through something as well. What could we do to get ourselves recognized and try to leverage our position and go out and, and re really succeed in this type of environment? And, you know, I'm really proud of the efforts of the team and, and, and I took it in order to really take this brand to a completely different level. So when you think about the history of this business, as you said, it's 30 years old, you came in 12 years ago. Yeah. How have those principles of innovation and relevancy been one that you've instilled into the culture? Yeah, so again, when I started, this business was highly fractured. So the franchisees were upset, the morale in the office wasn't good. So, I mean, it was, it, I was surprised at what I walked into. So you, as you think about the culture and how you integrate that, what well, takes time. First, you got to get the right set of people in place. And I think we did a really good job. We rebuilt the entire senior management team. We have very low turnover. And I always come from a culture of performance, not pressure. So if you perform, you're going to love working here because it's going to be a, a relaxed environment. You can do your thing and you can be a superstar. If you don't perform, you're not going to make it. So I tell everybody when I interview them and I sit down with them, I said, if you're really good, you're going to love it here. And if you're not, you're going to get exposed and probably won't last long. Other than that, I mean, you don't see a culture to where you know, we're putting a lot of pressure on people and make sure that people arrive at 801. You know, if you're not here by 815, where are you? It's not that situation at all. I mean, we were on a flex work schedule before COVID anyway. I don't want to say a four day work week because everybody was working from home, but we, we, we didn't even have people in our office on Fridays for the last three or four years. So, you know, I want our, our team to work hard and enjoy themselves. And I think that culture that we put in place. It's, it's not pressurized. It's based on performance and productivity. We got to get stuff done. We got to move the brand forward. You know what the expectation is. All the goals are clearly outlined. It's been re really good for the entire organization. So 2020 has actually been a year of record-breaking sales for you guys. How has that culture really impacted that and the business as a whole? 
Yeah. So, you know, we go back to the performance side of things. So, you know, when all of this happened, you know, if you want to take a step back, the day President Trump came out and said that we were going to go to a countrywide shutdown, we were already prepared that something big was going to happen. So we had a meeting scheduled for that evening. And the team and then myself got together. We were all on the phone and we were talking about the, the situation. And you know, the first thing we did is we established a lot of liquidity drivers. And really, we were in preservation mode. I wanted to protect the franchisees. I wanted to protect everybody's job. And we, we went to work for three or four weeks just on all the different things we could do to preserve liquidity and cut costs. So once we got that completed, I said, I want to go on the offense. And when we went on the offense in late April, early May, that's when things really took off. So what I mean by going on the offense is studying the consumer, going back to that piece and really understanding them. What you, you found out is there's a lot of people that were being furloughed. There's a lot of people that had lost their job, record unemployment all of a sudden. We went from the best economy to worst in 30 days. And so we knew people were going to be on a tight budget. And we also knew that people were really going to look for convenience. And they needed that whole meal home solution. Because if you remember, we were all sitting there. Well, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? So we would be go to the grocery store to very empty shelves, pick up our products. But I wanted to provide something that was just undeniably the best value in the industry. So we created the super family meal. So we had uh, for $19.99 gave our guests 16 breadsticks, which are the goat, a gallon of tea or lemonade, a full pizza, pepperoni or cheese, a bucket of spaghetti marinara, and a bucket of fettuccine Alfredo. So that could feed eight people for $19.99, or it could be two meals. I received thousands of social hits personally from consumers saying, thank you for providing this, because not only did I feed their family once, I fed their family twice, or we did. So they would have the dinner at Fazoli's with the super family meal, and then they'd have it for lunch the next day. So the kids maybe would have pizza at night, pasta the next day, vice versa. So we were selling thousands of super family meals. At the same point in time, we went to five under five. So we do have items on our menu already that are under $5, like double slice of pizza, small spaghetti marinara. Well, we just started to highlight those, and then we uh, created a couple new dishes that would go in that same theme. And that piece of value is really the first part of that stool that really helped us take off. So we got our names out there. We went back up to advertising uh, the brand, which most people weren't. Everyone shut down. We went right back to, to full advertising in May. Then we went to focus on convenience. You know, so everybody um, at this point in time has some type of digital experience. So you know, we were fortunate enough to have a really strong digital team. I mean, our IT department headed up by Wayne Peterson's done an excellent job. We put tablets out in the drive-thru. So when people are ordering our product, I could send you a picture. I mean, the lines were long. They would be backed into the road of people waiting to get in to go through the drive-thru. So we put our teams out in the drive-thru, taking orders and tablets, moving cars, went to curbside, and really just created a convenience piece that every known way a consumer can order our product, we provide it. And every known way that they could receive it, we provide it. So whether you want to order on your phone, your desktop, your iPad, call, call in, your mobile app, your third-party delivery. I mean, we, we had every angle. So we really hit value and convenience, and we just took off. So we started out May at plus 8.8%. And for the last seven months, uh, ending December, we've been up double digits.
So, and we're off to a huge start in January. That's wonderful. Well, I want to talk more about that convenience side of things sure. uh, that you hinted there. So Fazoli's recently announced a ghost kitchen wing concept. Mm-hmm. And you know, take me through that decision to launch a de- delivery-only concept, expand it to the permanent menu, and just what's this extension mean for the brand going forward? Yeah, so we had been working on wings for over a year. We put them in our Taste Creek restaurant. I saw the virtual kitchen business building and we had capacity in our restaurants. We have, you know, fairly large facilities. I mean, they're 2,800 to 3,200 square feet. So we had the room to put a brand inside of a brand. Wings are popular. And at the time, not everybody was in the wing game. Since then, everybody's rushed in and have done wings. So, you know, we created Wingville. We started out in, in, uh, here in Lexington with a location. We tweaked it. We kept changing the food. We made it better. We expanded it. We kept tweaking it, made the food. And then in October, we rolled it out to all of our company locations. And you know, I was on the phone last evening with Mike Feynman, our franchisee in uh, Western Texas. I mean, he's all jazzed up about outing Wingville. He was talking to me about it. He's getting his brosters in here shortly. And, you know, that's just one of multiple ghost brands that we're working on are virtual brands. So, you know, we've got one other one currently in test and then we're working on and finalizing one today. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So I want to talk, you mentioned your franchisee there is one example. Why is franchise development so important right now in the moment, not just of the pandemic, but the broader kind of ecosystem as a whole? Yeah, so um, franchise development, it's an interesting time because everyone's a little bit gun shy. You know, what happened? There are a lot of people, unfortunately, went under and went out of business. So it's, you know, not the easiest time to go out and franchise your brand unless you have some really good news so obviously, the, the, for us, the reason we want to franchise and grow franchise because the easiest way for our grow the company without the capital requirement. So if we, I wanted to go out and build uh, next year, we're going to open up 15 restaurants. Well, if I wanted to go out and do ground up and build those and have 15 company restaurants, that takes quite a bit of capital out of the business. And so we've elected to you know go to more of a franchise model. In fact, that three or four years ago, we, we sold off the large majority of our company restaurants to a franchisee and you know we operate 56 uh, restaurants uh, on the company side and the rest are franchise. So what led you to that decision to want to kind of get out of the corporate game? Because you see companies go back and forth of should we own all the corporate, should we franchise entirely? What really led that decision the most? Well, I think there was a couple pieces that led the decision. So, you know, one, we didn't really have the infrastructure to be supporting the locations that we had. So we're based in Lexington, Kentucky. And my belief is if you can't drive to a location, you better have a really good infrastructure and other pods set up throughout the country in order to operate your company businesses. We had locations in Denver, Wichita, Oklahoma City. 
we were through Nebraska, St. Louis, Kansas City. I mean, we were just out of our core market, didn't really understand those locations, and we really didn't operate as well as we should have in those locations. So they always slightly underperformed what I would refer to as our core, and all within a three-hour spoke of Lexington, Indianapolis, Dayton, you know, basically the entire state of Kentucky, Evansville, Indiana, and we can be really great at operating that core group. So we decided to maintain those instead of franchising the whole thing. And so that was part of the decision. And, and I guess the other part of the decision is you know, we wanted to improve the multiple value of the brand. So if you look at the heavily company-owned businesses versus heavily franchised-owned businesses, and you look at the trading multiple, the trading multiple is, is much higher on businesses that are highly franchised versus businesses that are highly company-owned. So I've always kind of wanted to reposition this way, but I finally had an equity partner, Sentinel Capital Partners, who's the majority owner of the brand, you know, who was supportive of the idea. So, Gotcha. So when you think about the future of the restaurant industry, what's that look like coming out over the next five years and where's Fazoli's uh, positioning itself? Yeah, so I'm going to do the last part first and then kind of talk about what I think is going to happen in the future. So we reposition the brand completely. So we used to be a QSR brand. Well, again, we had the wrong priorities when I started. We we're trying to compete on food and price. Today, we provide high quality food traditional plateware. We go back to normal dine-in seating. We provide more service after the, uh, the point of sale at anybody at our price point. Yeah, we bring the food to your table. We have somebody running around handing out uh, endless breadsticks. And you know, I, I think we, what we've done is really positioned ourselves out of QSR into what I would call a premium QSR space. And there's a few brands in that area, and they're they're doing pretty well. I mean, I'd put Culver's or Whataburger. Or, uh, you know, there's a few that really have separated themselves out of this. We're not fast. We're just really good. Uh, it's going to take a little longer to get our product, but we're going to be really happy with what you receive. And that's really been a fundamental success for us is really finding our own white space and quit competing on, on the 99 cent meals and 90 second ticket times. So for the industry, if anyone can completely guess it right, then good for them. The future is always hard to predict. So I always look at it in blocks of 12 month periods. And so, you know, if I, you said the next five years, so when I look at the next 12 months, it's going to stay choppy and then, and then it's going to get better. So we unfortunately have not done a great job at, when it comes to our government. And, uh, this is not a political statement, but the, of not supporting the restaurant industries in a time of need. Their petty little fight between each other destroyed hundreds of thousands of businesses and, and hundreds of thousands of restaurants. So whether they closed or whether they're barely getting by, it's really unfortunate, you know, what, what's happened. And they needed support. They got the initial support. It helped them for a period of time. And then we got to the fall and that money was gone. So unfortunately, we're going to see more closures. So this quarter typically is a slow quarter in the restaurant industry. So that's even going to put more pressure on the people that had weak balance sheets. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to experience more closures. And we are seeing the cases of COVID continue to ramp up. And that's going to, again, keep some of our um, governors very uh, conservative as it, re as it relates to dine-in, curfews, and shutdowns. Uh, you know, uh, England shut down again today. So, yeah, yeah, so we're not behind this. So, 
you know, we've got a vaccine. We've got many of them. We need to figure out how to get them distributed rapidly and get them in the, the right areas. And six months from now or eight months from now or 10 months from now, you are going to have this euphoric period because the consumer is going to be running around mass free, happy to be outside. And it's going to be like the roaring 20s all of a sudden. I mean, everybody is going to be out and celebrating and just be glad that they're out of the situation. And that's going to bode really well for all sectors of businesses. So I think you're going to see a really strong back half. And then I think that continues to go for a year or two. And I think you see the restaurants come back. The large chains are going to continue to grow. But then I think you see the entrepreneurs come back and give it another shot. So on that note, how do we support the entrepreneurs? Because I think one of the things that the restaurant industry gets confused on at times is the fact of franchisees. You know, you look at a Fazoli's, a McDonald's, and you think it's just owned by a big corporation that can afford the loss and can afford it. But it's owned by entrepreneurs that live in the town and everything else. Right. What can consumers do to really support the restaurant industry? Yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, two things. Uh, I, to just support your point, I mean, Subway, I think, has a, a handful of company locations, like less than 10. They have 5,000 units. So each one of those are little independent operators. Some of them are large, but m- most of them have anywhere between one and five locations. And, you know, they are barely scratching out a living. You know, McDonald's, on the other hand, um, they they still have franchisees, but that business is extremely strong. So in general, you know, we we want all everybody in the community to help support the restaurant industry and try to order, you know, as much product as possible. But, you know, it's hard to go out and convince the public that they need to run out to your location during this time period. So it takes, you know, some really good strategy in order to drive traffic and business into your property. Makes sense. Well, Carl, it's been an amazing discussion. I appreciate you taking the time and congrats on all the success of leading Fizzoli's for the last 12 years, but also through the last 12 months. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.